All right. We've got a lot of people in here today. It's good to see everybody. Uh, especially, you know, it's interesting. I got, I, got some, I got some fascinating reactions from the email I sent out. And you guys cared a lot more about what my actual opinion was on Marvel versus DC Comics than you did my, my stances on social justice. So I appreciate that. We're not going to get into Marvel versus DC Comics today, uh, but I do want to talk about justice. So if you have your notes, I, I try to get notes out on almost every table. And then for you guys on Zoom, hold on real quick. Let me admit a couple more people in here. For you guys on Zoom... Uh, I sent the notes out, but I want to kind of break down three proverbs today, uh, and, and I, I kind of came across all of these proverbs as, as I was just going through and planning out what we were going to teach in this class, and I thought they all built upon each other very well. And so we're going to take them one at a time and kind of build on uh, this understanding. And if you kind of notice in my notes, I, I gave you kind of three questions, and the first question I had as I went through this was this one. It says, in what object shall I hope for my deep desire for justice in the world. For what object shall I hope? And, and so the answer to this question comes in, verse, in Proverbs twenty nine twenty six, And I just love this proverb. It says, many seek the face of, the, of a ruler. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. So many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. And there's all kinds of examples in the Bible that will prove us, prove to us that this proverb is true. Think, of, think back to the Old Testament and think about the people of Israel uh, after God has raised up judges and prophets uh, to really lead the people. The people of Israel demand what? What do they demand? They demand a king, right? They demand a king. They, they demand a king because all the other countries have kings, and they're a little worried about the Philistines running around over there. The Philistines have a lot of really good weapons and technology, and, and they're not able to subdue them. And so they demand a king to provide them justice, to provide for them what they think is right. And so they demand a king, and God gives them Saul. We all know how that turns out. Uh, different kings all throughout the history of Israel we see actually turning to rulers for justice and security and peace and prosperity instead of turning to God. Uh, we, we see time and time again, you'll see the people of Israel, the kings of Israel, turn to Egypt or turn to the Assyrians or turn to another Near East ally or Near East uh, political power for their deliverance. You know, there's, there's this interesting rule that, that God gives the kings in Israel, and he tells them they shall never have horses from Egypt. And why do you think he never wants them to have horses from Egypt? It's not because they have a disease or some weird thing about Egyptian horses. He never wants them to depend upon the political powers of Egypt. He wants them to depend upon God. So I'm going to mute all you guys if I can figure out how to do that. Actually, oh yeah, there it is. There's a button that says mute all. Look at that. Um, that's powerful right there. I feel, like I, I feel like I have a lot of power right now. Look at that. Okay. Um, so, so God's trying to teach us to depend upon him. Uh, but even in the days of Christ, we see the, the, the ruling class of Israel turn to a ruler, turn to somebody else in order to, to provide justice. And so think about, think about when Jesus Christ is being judged in the temple courts. The, the Jewish people have a certain thing they feel like they ought to demand as justice for his, in, in, in theory, blasphemy, their, their assumed blasphemy. 
And so they turn to the Roman Empire, they turn to Pontius Pilate to deliver the justice they think he deserves when they can't do it themselves, right? They, they turn to these rulers. So many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man actually gets justice. Now we see this today all the time. Our people, us, us as well, turning to the face of a ruler, turning to a political power, turning to the government to seek justice when many times we're meant to be turning to the Lord. It, it made me really want to dive in deep here as we kick this off to talk about what justice actually is. And so if, if you kind of think about that, we throw this term around all the time. You saw in my email, I mean, if you're, if you're watching the news at all right now, you're going to hear the word justice every single day in a different context from a different group who has a different motive, right? Just all over the place. But I want you to think about justice very, very simply. Justice is adherence to a standard, Think about it that way. Justice is adherence to a standard. You have a standard that is in place, and if you go against that standard, justice is making sure you adhere to that standard. And so we all have different thoughts about justice, but if you think about it that way for just a minute, justice is adherence to a standard. I want to walk around that real fast. So I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It was in my email. It says this. This is C.S. Lewis talking about why he didn't believe in God back when he was, a, he was an atheist. And he said this, he said, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Right. What was I comparing it with when I called it unjust? So I want you to think about this. We, have all, we all in here have a fairly common idea of what justice is, of what the standards we ought to adhere to are. But that is not true everywhere you go. This changes drastically. So if you go to, if you go to this, is, this is an illustration that uh, Terry Fakes did on Sunday in Sunday school class, just coincidentally. But he said this. He goes, if you go to Saudi Arabia right now, and you are caught stealing... What is the justice for stealing? You, anyone who's been in Saudi Arabia? Right. You, cut off, you cut off the hand, right? You cut off the hand. Now, uh, the right hand, the right hand. Thank you, Major Duck. Cuts off the right hand. So, so, yeah, we'll, 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 all right, we'll, we'll get off the right hand because I know where this is going to go. So, so, that's the penalty for justice. And we would all probably sit here and go, and I'd hope we'd all probably go, that seems a bit harsh. That seems a bit much. But that's the standard in Saudi Arabia. That's the standard according to their laws of justice. So for them, justice is cutting off the right hand, right? That's their standard, right? If you go, if you think about America right now, we all have our individual standards of justice as well. We all have different standards we are calling everyone to adhere to. So, and I want to be very careful, what I'm getting ready to say is not is not an endorsement of any political view, all right? So you take that caveat right now, right? So progressive left, let's use this as an example right now. Progressive left, if you are in the progressive left, if you're in the progressive movement, there is an expectation that you will adhere to every evolution of the movement, right? Every evolution of the movement. Now, if you were to stop at some point of the evolution of the movement, 
the group, the progressive group, expects justice. So just think about this. A good example of this is J.K. Rowling. I don't know if you guys are following J.K. Rowling's saga right now, but it's a, it's a great example of how this works. So J.K. Rowling is the author of Harry Potter, right? A great author of Harry Potter. And so she has always been a very, very strong activist for a number of different groups, including LGBTQ groups and, and uh, uh, people who are impressed from, from different discrimination in a number of areas. She's always been a very big activist, a very outspoken, vocal activist. And so she came out, though, maybe a year or so ago. I can't remember how long it's been, maybe six months or so ago. And she was struggling to understand why this whole idea of gender nonconformity was something that, that should be celebrated in advance. She's, she's a feminist activist. She is a, 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 a gay activist, and her idea is that sex is biological, and, and, and whenever she was trying to understand, she goes, if, if sex is no longer biological, if there is no gender, I can't celebrate who I am as a woman. I can't celebrate who I am as, as a lesbian woman, as was her stance she was making. And she got absolutely killed, right? She got blistered by, by so many people. Book sales went down. She was just, you know, death threats on Twitter and all of this because she wasn't continuing to go across the movement that started here and then is demanding this idea of gender nonconformity being the expectation. So, so you look at that, we have justice being played out there where people are boycotting, people are death threats, all this, because she's not adhering to a certain standard. So we see that happening a lot right now in the progressive left. We see the same thing happening on the right in America. Right? We all have these unspoken ideas of what standards we're expecting people to adhere to. A lot of people in the military, in particular people who, who served in active duty war, have a big issue whenever Colin Kaepernick kneeled for the flag, right? Had a massive issue with that. That, that violated a standard, right? It wasn't a constitutional standard. It wasn't a legal standard. It violated a standard. And what was the justice for the violation of that standard for Colin Kaepernick? He's out, right? And, and, and for, for people who that was a standard that, that, that the NFL violated, they quit watching the NFL, right? So we see, we see very different examples, but things that happen on the left and things that happen on the right, you see standards that are in place with different groups. When those standards are violated, when they're not adhered to, there's consequences for those standards. That's each group demonstrating its level of justice for those standards. So, some of you, some of you, I'll give you another example of this. Some of you uh, have served in the Navy. Has anyone here served in the Navy before? Navy? We got Tyler on the line who served in the Navy, Bob Bennett in the Navy. So Tyler, my, my, my friend, he's a retired Marine. He's on with us. Uh, he sent me a poem last night. And this is what Tyler and I do about 11 o'clock at night. We share poetry. So that's just, you know, take that for what it is, guys. But, but the poem was a poem called The Laws of the Navy. The Laws of the Navy. And it's a beautiful poem. For you guys in the Navy, you may have this memorized. It's a really cool deal. Google it if you get a chance. It's, it's fantastic. But I want you to hear how this poem starts off, right? It says this. It says, Now there are the laws of the Navy. Unwritten and varied they be. And he that is wise will observe them going down in his ship to the sea. So listen to this. Now are the laws of the Navy unwritten and varied they be. Right? So this captain, at some point in time, and Tyler's going to get the history on this for me, and I'm, I'm fully expecting a nice historical review of this, but this captain at some point in time went and wrote down all the unwritten rules of the Navy. 
All these unwritten rules that all the people in the Navy were expected to adhere to or else justice will be played out. And I guarantee you that if you're on a ship with someone and they're violating these unwritten rules, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be justice, right? So it's a really cool poem if you ever get a chance, though. But I want you to see that. Think about justice as an adherence to a standard. Does that make sense? Okay. So when we, seek, when we speak of justice, getting back to the Bible, when we speak of justice, whenever we're talking about that as Christian men, as leaders here, what we want to make sure we're doing is knowing whose standard of justice we are calling ourselves and influence everyone else to adhere to. Whose standard of justice is it? Because I've just given you like four examples of very different standards of justice. So as men of wisdom, we believe, just kind of think about what we believe, we believe that God is the beginning of all wisdom, that he has revealed his wisdom to us from his word, that God is righteous, he is just. By, by definition of his nature, he cannot be unjust, right? He is justice. God, if you want to think about it more simply, God is the straight line that C.S. Lewis is referring to. So if C.S. Lewis had this idea that something was unjust and he has to compare it to something, the one true pure definition of what is justice that we can go back to is the nature of God himself and the way he reveals it to us. Okay? So that is where we have to do. We need to be very careful that we do not allow these other standards of justice that are all around us from the right, from the left, from the Navy, from wherever it may be. We need to make sure these other standards of justice don't become our default standard, right? Our default standard must be God. It must come from the word of God. So be careful not to get led astray by the left or the right. Does that make sense? So we're going to kind of break down now, knowing, starting with that foundation, that, that so often we have the temptation to look to our rulers for justice, look for them for the standards of justice. It is God and God alone who will be the ultimate deliverer of that justice. Does he entrust in our government responsibilities to execute worldly justice? Yes, he does, right? To the standards that he implores, right? It's a very good principle we need to live by. So question for discussion, I want us to talk through at your tables and you can talk on Zoom, is this. The verse I read, the verse I read, so many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man gets justice. This is definitely a true statement. And I don't think any of us would argue with this. This is definitely a true statement. My question is this, why is it true? Why is it that we seek rulers time and time again when it's the Lord who grants us justice? Why do we do that as people? Talk about that for a few minutes and we'll come back. Good answers on Zoom. Um, yeah, so, so it's, interesting. it's interesting that we continue to do this, right? We, we continue to seek rulers whenever it's the Lord himself who gives justice. And just look around. Look around at current-day America, and you're going to see this in every political area. We've talked about this before. Normally, politicians are going to fit one of two molds, right? They'll fit one of two molds. They'll either be the Messiah figure or they'll be the strong man. Right? If you want to watch two campaigns that have fit those molds perfectly, go back to the original Obama, Obama campaign, and what figure was he trying to personify? Hope and change. What, what does that sound like? Right? The Messiah figure. If you want to go back to the strong man and look at the ideal example of how to run a strong man political campaign, go back to the 2016 Trump campaign. What was he trying to show? Right? He's a strong man. Politicians would normally 
go into one of those two frameworks, watch for it. They will. That's where their campaign managers are going to push them because we're all looking for a ruler to deliver us justice, our version of justice. Be careful, right? Be careful with how you can get sucked in to both of those narratives. So we tend to do this, though. We're fallen, sinful nature, right? We're afraid, uh, we, 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 we normally trust what's right in front of us before we'll trust uh, what is a bit more cosmic, what's a bit more uh, di- intangible. You know, we, we will trust what we feel like we can grab on and hold right ourselves. We've talked about this with the Garden of Eden. We've talked about this with Absalom leading the people of uh, Israel astray from King David. We see this time and time and play out. We trust what's right in front of us, right? We're called to a higher level of faith than that, Right? We have to hold accountable what is right in front of us, but we trust in a much higher source. And I, I got to say, I've, this is one thing I'm actually a bit proud of myself from for this entire presidential campaign. The world's gone darn crazy. Like, things are crazy. And I'm at such peace right now because I know there's a much higher force at work, right? All will be okay. The worst thing that I can happen to me is I die, and then I'm, I'm good there, right? So, so I mean, it, there, is, there is a peace that comes when you know you don't have to trust in every single power structure of this world, right? We are called to trust in a higher authority. So if we are going to truly trust in this, though, trust that not only are we going to be at peace or are we going to be taken care of, but that justice itself will be delivered, Right, because you think back to the story of Absalom, that's, that's why he rebelled against David to begin with. He didn't feel like justice was going to be delivered by David. Right? A lot of times we don't trust this will play out. You know, that second question I have is this, is our doubt. But will justice truly be delivered? Is this really the way? Who shall be victorious? And we see the answer to this in Proverbs 21, 30 through, through 31. It says this, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. I want to stop right there for a second. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. But time and time again, we turn to the wisdom of this world to trust in that before we trust in the unchanging wisdom of God. And I think that is the very largest, one of the largest differences whenever we look at the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of God, we can start with real quick, what changes and what never changes? Right? What changes and what never changes? And honestly, I put a lot more hope in the thing that never changes for the, for the sake of my eternity. Right? But the wisdom of this world constantly changes. If you go to the 16th century, the prevailing basis of most wisdom in the world was this, God and Scripture. God and Scripture was the basis for foundational certainty you know, across, especially in the West. Right? God and Scripture was that basis. By the 17th century, this was really replaced as, an, as the predominant source of wisdom was replaced with metaphysics. Right? What is real? What is knowledge? Rational scientific research became the standard for certainty. In the 18th century, this gets replaced with ethical humanism, central notions of duty and virtue being what we all rely upon. In the 19th century, this gets replaced with economics. Think about, think about the movements, that, that, the, the Marxist movement that, that, that spurred communism, that, that spurred all these different ways of structuring societies around economics. That was the predominant view of wisdom and what you based your hope and your justice system around. In the 20th century, we replaced all this with naturalism. Right, if you think, you, you all know what naturalism is, right? Because you've all heard, I believe in science, right? I believe in science. Th- this idea that all things in the world can be explained, that if it can't be explained, I can't, I can't put my trust in it, and I can somehow conquer 
all understanding of nature. And that is where I will put my hope. That is where I will base all of my rationale for what is just, what is unjust, is to look into nature, which is absolute just foolishness whenever you think about it. Because if we rely upon nature for our system of justice, it'd be survival of the fittest right in here in this room. Right? I mean, honestly, you think about, you think about the justice system for wild bears. It doesn't look very pretty. Right? I mean, it's, it's not good. The, the idea we have for what are human rights cannot be explained in nature at all. Right? We, we, have a, we have a much higher level of this. But here in the, in the 20th century, we really had this as this prevailing view that naturalism was the way to base all of our wisdom. If you've never read Blood Meridian... I would highly encourage you to read Blood Meridian. Uh, I, I read it about know, five months ago or so, something like that, and, I, and it makes me mad every day that I waited until I was 35 years old to read this book because I think about it almost every day. But there's just great, a couple of great quotes in there in this book talking about this tension behind having faith in this higher power and, this, and then having complete conquering dominance of nature and allowing that to be the source of your wisdom. Uh, but this first quote says this. It says, The man who believes that the secrets of the world are forever hidden lives in mystery and fear. Superstition will drag him down. And then it goes on to say, Only nature can enslave man. And only when the existence of each last entity is routed out and, man, and made to stand naked before him will he properly be properly suzerain of the earth. Right? So this, this concept that as we continue, continue to, to root out these mysteries of nature... You know, we can be the conqueror of the earth, right? But, but, but you see this, one of the great points that this quote makes is you're never going to get there, right? You are never going to get there. You are never going to understand everything in this world. You can't have that wisdom. You go back to the old Eli Whitney example wherever he asked God for, for complete wisdom and, and God says, no, you can't have that. And then he goes, well, what about the peanut? That well, wasn't Eli Whitney. That was the cotton gin. Who, who am I thinking of? Uh, George Washington Carver? George Washington Carver, right? And he goes, you can't have all that wisdom. Your brain can't handle that. And he goes, well, well, give me all the wisdom for that peanut. And God gave him the wisdom for the peanut, and we see everything that came out of this. We cannot conquer nature. That's not what we're meant to do. But we see this time and time again, that we're basing our wisdom off whatever movement happens to be in power at a time. And God's calling us to something different. The second part of this, is he says in verse 31, he says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the world. Or the victory belongs to the Lord, not the world. So the horses may ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So what this is really saying for me, as I read through this, was are we humble enough to accept the fact that victory does not belong to us? Are we humble enough to accept that fact? Yes, we are being made ready for battle, but the victory is God's. Right? The victory is God's. If we truly trust God to deliver justice, he's going to deliver it for his victory, but he is going to make us ready for battle. Right, he's going to make us ready for battle. And so I want to, in this second section, I just want to make sure we, we, we hit on those two points. Right? The wisdom of God never changes. It never changes. Right? You can put your trust and your hope that justice will be delivered in wisdom that never changes. Right? And the second is we can trust him in our victory because it is his victory. Right? We can trust him with that. We can trust him to deliver. So then the third portion of this lesson gets into this, what I titled there in the notes, our response. So it says, I trust you, God, right? I trust that your promises are true. I trust that your word is making us ready for battle. I trust that you have a role for me to play. What is the role you desire us to play? 
And so if we take justice from this big, massive term, and we just kind of shrink it just for a second into social justice, social justice. I want to talk about that just for a minute as we think about what our application is in God's wisdom for what he calls us to be in terms of being ready for the battle in social justice. And this is where I think we've got to be very careful that we don't allow our politics to, to shape what our view is, what our, what our view is of what standard we have to adhere to. Because think about it right now. The Democrats and the Republicans have very different views of what social justice is called to be. Right? If you think about the Democratic narrative right now, they, they seem to be that, trying to portray the narrative that they're the party that cares for the oppressed. They, they tend to encourage more government intervention in social issues. Uh, they promote more social issues more vocally. They have a base of support with people who tend to be a bit more oppressed uh, in this country. So you see the Democrats really trying to be the party that cares about social issues. That's the narrative that you're going to hear time and time again. The Republican Party tends to be, uh, the narrative for the Republican Party tends to be a little bit more individual liberty, responsibility. Uh, there's a narrative, you know, uh, this can get portrayed in the media as heartlessness uh, in the Republican Party. And you see a lot of young people turned away because of that narrative. Right? But, but if you think about the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, you have very different views of what levels of social justice ought to be adhered to. And they use those as political talking points to try to get elected, get power, all that good stuff. And I think, I, I think the best example I can uh, give you of this is just every now and then I, I come across a few gems on my social media feed. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I follow a lot of interesting people, but I've got this one friend who posted this. And I just wanted you to talk about, I want us to remember, it's very, the reason I'm talking about this is it's very easy for us to allow our politics to shape what we believe social justice ought to look like. So here's what she said. She goes, my neighbors were just out walking their dog. During our conversation, I asked their little boy what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said he wanted to be president someday. Both of his parents were standing there, and I asked him, If you were president, what would be the first thing you would do? And he replied, I'd give food and houses to all the homeless people. His parents were beaming with pride. Wow, what a worthy goal, I said. But you don't have to wait until you're president to do that. What do you mean, he replied. He goes, so I told him, you can come over to my house, mow the lawn, pull weeds, trim my hedges, and I'll pay you $50. Then you can go over to the grocery store where the homeless guy hangs out. You can give him the $50 to use towards food and a new house. And the little boy thought that over for a few seconds, and then he looked at me and asked, why doesn't the homeless guy come over, do the work, and you can just pay him the $50? And I said to him, welcome to the Republican Party. American flag emoji, elephant emoji, American flag emoji. His parents aren't speaking to me anymore. This is the narrative of the Republican Party out there, right? This is the narrative. Now, is there truth in this statement? Yeah, there's a kernel of truth in this statement, right? There's a kernel of truth in just about everything on every side, right? There's some truth in that, and so I'm not going to sit here and debate this, but this is the narrative, right? And if we allow that narrative to shape our view of what is just, how we should treat those who are oppressed, how we should treat the homeless, how we could, should do those things— we're going to come to a very different answer of what is just than what God tells us to do, right? So, so the, all the reason I'm saying this, don't allow the Democrats to shape your thinking. Don't allow the Republicans to shape your thinking. Allow God to shape your thinking. Because what does God say about the home? What does God say about the poor? What does God say about those who seem to be in need? He says something very different than welcome to the Republican Party. Come do the work, right? For those of you who go out to uh, church under the bridge, has anyone ever been out to church under the bridge? 
Church Under the Bridge. So if you're not familiar with Church Under the Bridge, it's a ministry here in the city where there's a church for homeless people here in Oklahoma City. And for those of you who have been out there, what percentage of those people who are attending that church service are, are homeless because they don't want to work hard, right? It's not many. It's not many. There's issues, right? There's, there's mental issues. There's, there's drug addictions. There's, there's just terrors and pains from their past. There's all kinds of things. It's a complicated situation. It isn't laziness, which is driving those people under that bridge. And, and, and we are called as Christians to go bring hope, bring the gospel to them. Right? God speaks very differently about social justice than either political side speaks about social justice. So if we want to if, if use this principle, everything we're, we're learning today, of God is the basis of justice, so what does he call us to do? What is he asking us to do to be ready for the fight? And you want to narrow it down to just some of these constant social issues that we see time and time again in our culture. Just, just look at this. It, it's amazing how consistent God is in his word. I'm going to rattle off a few things, right, and then we'll talk about it for a second. But if you look at that, that last verse in Proverbs I gave you, it says, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are de- destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The biggest thing I saw whenever I read this was the word your. Open your mouth for the mute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isaiah 1, 14 through 17 says this, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Proverbs twenty nine fourteen through 15. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Proverbs 30, 14. Those are, there are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from, from among mankind. Exodus twenty two twenty one through 27. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were once, you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I surely will hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. God doesn't speak too bluntly or God doesn't speak so too bashfully about what he feels the requirements are for his people to go and and provide what the oppressed need. Right? He is very, very blunt about this. He is very specific, and he is consistent across the entire Bible. Psalm 12, 5-8, Because the pl- poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Amos 5, 11-15, this is Amos, the prophet Amos, talking to the kings of Israel well prior to the Assyrian invasion. And this is Amos really warning the kings to repent because God's wrath, God's judgment is going to come down. And listen to what he's worried about. 
He says, therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink your wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent and will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be, the Lord, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. God is very specific about what he believes justice is. Right? He is very, very specific. It is up to us as Christian men to use this as the basis for what our justice is. For use it for the basis of social justice, racial justice, political justice, military justice, whatever you want to say, this is our basis. How easily it would be right now, and you hear this as a recurring theme as we go throughout Proverbs, we're all so worried about Christians being led astray by the right or the left in this point in time in our history because we're all getting saturated by it time and time again. But God's very clear on what he wants us to do. What I found fascinating is that what I just read about justice on every side of the angle is not represented in any one political platform, right? The Democrats didn't get this right. The Republicans didn't get this right. God knows the libertarians did not get this right, right? I mean, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean it, it is, we, we have not all gotten this right. We need to rise above, right? Rise above. Allow the word to be our guide. Let God lead us whatever way. He will show you the areas that he can use you to be in the battle where you need to be his horse in the battle. He will show you the areas he needs you. Then use the basis of the word, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to go and execute his justice, to go and lead people to his justice, especially those. I think one of the biggest things you guys can do in here, if you don't take one application away from today, you all have friends who have been led astray. All of you do. You've had friends who've gone astray to the left, to the right, coming up with a new definition of justice to adhere to. We're called to help bring them back to that straight line that C.S. Lewis talked about. Let's not be called to go walk the crooked line. Let's walk that straight line. Let us know what true justice is. Make sense? All right. Uh, Let me pray for us and we'll get out of here today. Father, I thank you so much again for these guys. I thank you for the, the wisdom you give us. Uh, We'd be lost without you. We would all be doing what is right in our own eyes. And we've seen time and time again what happens to your people when we just go and do what is right in our own eyes. Let us be humble enough to accept the fact that we're going to walk out of here today and not have all the answers ourselves. There's things we don't know. Just so much we don't know. May you please help fill in the gaps. Give us what we need to know. Show us where you want us to act. Show us where you need us. Show us those who are oppressed that you need a voice where you want us to be that voice. And show us how to do it in your way, not the ways of this world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.